0: uh years of sacrifice and years of work overseas um, in some of the most dangerous of places uh, that you could go to in the world. And um, so we're just excited today to to hear from them and kind of pick their brains a little bit um, about life in, in uh, missions. Um, over here we have uh, Don Hanscom and Sandra Hanscom. And, uh, of course, a lot of you know Bonnie Sheets. Um, my grandma, and a grandma to many. Um, I'll just kind of, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read Brother Hanscom's bio that he sent over because it's extensive and uh, <laughs> I'll just try to read through it real quick. Uh, they've done a lot. Um, Donald David Hanscom's ministry provided him the opportunity to serve two pastorates in Ontario, Canada, a total of 10 years. Following the call God placed on his life in 1973, he took his wife and three small children To the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, preaching crusades, baptizing and witnessing thousands filled with the Holy Ghost and serving as president and instructor in uh, Pakistan's Apostolic Bible School. He also served as general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church in Pakistan six years while pioneering a new district in the south, uh, while at the same time serving as general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church in the nation of Sri Lanka uh, for 12 years. The Hanscoms also resided in Hong Kong for two years, working among the Chinese, Filipinos, and reaching into the mainland into mainland China. Uh, it was during this time that Brother Hanscom also evangelized into many Asian nations. In 1996, he began serving the UPCI at uh, its world headquarters as the director of multicultural ministries, serving on the general board. As he continued to serve. In this position for 21 years, organizing and establishing many new ministries among many cultural language communities in North America, which produced great results for the Kingdom of God. Uh, since returning or since retiring uh, from the office at the UPC World Headquarters, the Hanscoms have ministered in Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Myanmar, Australia, Fiji, Austria, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Germany, Senegal. Uh, Liberia, Ghana, Kenya, and Japan. For the past two and a half years, they have evangelized full-time in the U.S. and Canada. Pretty extensive resume. Um, very impressive. Um, so I'm going to start today uh, by just asking this question. When you first went into the foreign field, and I'm assuming was Pakistan the first place you went, what was that first moment like? You brought your family, you left everything at home, all the comforts of home, and put your feet on foreign soil for the first time. Describe to me what that, what your thoughts were those first time that first time you stepped on soil.
1: There was a certain excitement about that, as well. Uh, there was there's a, there was a lot of uh, uh, concern about leaving uh, home, the homeland, and my mother, who was elderly and was was a widow at that time, but when we arrived in Pakistan, uh, it was about 100 degrees. Uh, we had our winter clothes on because it was October. Um, we arrived at the Karachi airport and there were multiplied thousands of people. Uh, we didn't know it, but there was a political rally uh, taking place and the president, uh, the uh, Pakistan prime minister, was, uh, was there. And so uh, the airport was absolutely blocked off. So for about a mile nobody could even get into the airport. So we just arrived in the middle of this chaos. And there was a, one of our elderly pastors who pastored in Karachi. We did not know him, but uh, he met us at the airport, and he said, look, Brother Hanscom, all these people are here to welcome you. (laughs) There was multiplied thousands of people, and then we had to walk a mile, dragging about five suitcases and three little children uh, to get out of the airport to get to the vehicle. Brother Davis took us to their home, and uh, served us their national drink, which they were so proud of, but I got sick as, uh, I got so sick, I was, thought I was going to die. Something they call Ruafsa, which is uh, actually uh, rose water, they call it. It's very, it's like perfume, all right, just sickening. But anyway, they love it. So that was kind of our entrance into Pakistan. Then we got, immediately went right into the work.
0: And uh, Sister Hanscom, um, obviously you're a mother with young kids. Describe what that's like. I mean, it probably feels a a little bit, uh, not necessarily careless, but just that you are taking your children. Like it's not just you and your husband going, but you're taking your young kids with you. What is that like?
2: Well, we were very young. I was 24 years old and three little kids and going into the unknown. It was like going to the moon for us. A different country, a different language, different everything was so different. And it was a little frightening, although we were so excited. We were really excited to get there and be there. And after we landed in Karachi, then we flew right on to Lahore, and that's where the work started, where we got a house, and where we were able to learn a little bit of the language, and we'd find out where the markets were, and, and all that. And uh, so it was a little time of adjustment. We did have one advantage— one good advantage is that Brother and Sister Corcoran, who is my husband's sister, and her husband had been there a, maybe a year before us. So they were able to scope out the land. So that was a great advantage. And I think any missionary going now, if they have a contact there or something, or a family there or a missionary there that help them around, that that is a big advantage. And it was a great blessing to us with the small kids because they already had a house had it, uh, you know, had us uh, set up for that. But then the next thing is, you know, does your children have to go to school? What kind of school are you are going to send them to? You uh, know, there were so many unknowns in our life but stepping stones that's what they were. And I'm um, many times, it was like the abyss or the blackness of that next step. But we just took each step with the Lord and He was with us all the way.
0: Awesome. And then, of course, Sister Sheets I've I've been personally to Haiti's airport a few different times, chaos. and I'm sure, I, I know the chaos there. Describe to me just uh, what that was like for you guys the first time you went. Um, got a microphone. <laughs> first time we went, yeah.
3: um, we went on a trip just to visit because Foreign Missions Division said Haiti is such a bad country we need to go visit some other countries first to make sure that was where we were called to. So we visited two or three countries and ended up in Haiti and knew that was where we were supposed to go. By the way, I'm here to recruit you to go to Haiti. <laughs> That's one country you haven't been to yeah, yet.
2: Really. <laughs> um, We'd have to
3: land at that airport, wouldn't we? <laughs> uh, I, did, I didn't have any fears. I was anxious and excited. We flew into Puerto Rico first, and Brother Smith went with us over to Haiti. That's took us into a little old Caribbean hotel where we spent the night. pitch dark and a fan that moved like this. <laughs> be cool. And the next morning we got up, the owner of the hotel came to us and asked what we were doing there and we told him, he said, I have a friend that speaks English, and he has a house for rent. I said, call him. Before we ever left our house for deputation, I was sitting on the floor at 2 o'clock in the morning one day, sorting pictures for my kids and me, and I said, God, if you would just have a house for me, because I don't know anybody there, can't speak one word of the language, don't know what to do when we get there. So the He called the landlord of that house. He drove up and picked us up, spoke perfect English. We rented his house that day. Very first day we stepped foot on the land. God knew
0: where you were. Wow. That's amazing. Um, So, again, I'd mentioned some of the most dangerous countries. Uh, You can find yourself in some pretty compromising situations. Um, Were there moments, Brother Hanscom, that you feared for your safety um, and can you maybe share some of those, and maybe, you know, God came through in, in those moments, or whatever that was like.
1: Yeah, like every day. <laughs> it was like, well, what's going to happen today, you know, so it was, we just got up in the morning and prayed, we always prayed uh, before we left the house, always prayed when we got in our car and drove out of the out of the yard and uh, asked for God's protection and God protected us so many times is it, this is not on the internet is it ok because we have to be a little careful of what we say about Pakistan uh, for your information our Christian people are suffering many of them are suffering today we need to pray for our church uh, in the last two weeks we've had 16 of our families uh, there that they've had their houses burned down and they're out in the they're out in the sugar cane fields hiding for fear of their life. So let's pray. These are wonderful apostolic people. These are our brothers, our sisters. We know nothing about this here in America, but that's what some of our people are going through there. But there were there were several times uh, that I had my life in danger. At one time, I was in a, in a service. This guy stood up, and he said, um, uh, "He said you're a Christian? I said, yes. And he said, well, we are Muslim. And uh, our prophet has commanded us to stone you if you preach any other message but Islam. And so it's a very long story, but I began to pray. Of course, what do you do in a situation like that? I just closed my Bible just standing there, And I had this Pakistani preacher with me. And he came up and whispered in my ear. He said, let's run. (laughs) I said, well, before we run, let's pray, all right. (laughs) So when you don't know what to do, you pray. So I was praying. He was praying, silently praying. And if ever I heard the voice of God, I heard the voice of God as I stood there on that little platform in front of those about 300 people, 350 people. My life was being threatened. It felt like somebody laid their hand right on my head. I I was shaking. I was trembling. I didn't know exactly what was happening. And I heard, I believe it was the audible voice. I don't know if anybody else heard it or not. But the Lord said, if you will just begin to pray for the sick, I will perform many miracles. And I will reveal myself to these people. It was such a strong, forceful message that came. So I made the announcement. I said, is anybody sick here? Well, everybody's sick, okay? They're all sick. So they all raised their hand. I said, if you'll come down here and allow me to pray for you in the name of my God, Jesus, you'll be healed. And I felt so confident about that. And so everything went silent. And after a few minutes, A couple of young fellas got a hold of a little lady, elderly lady, who was blind and began to lead her down to the front. And she stood there in front of me. And I remember as I reached my hand out and just laid it on top of her head, she was trembling. And all I said was, in the name of Jesus, heal these blind eyes. And when I said that, prayed that little prayer, this little lady, she started screaming and jumping up and down saying, I can see, I can see. (laughs) And when that happened, all 350 people jump up and they come running down to the front. And they said to this lady, what happened? She said, I don't know what happened. All I know is I came here, I couldn't see, but now I can see. God is my witness. As we begin to pray for those people, we witness blinded eyes open that at least three blinded eyes open, people being healed, all kinds of sickness and disease, crippled people. And that went on for quite a while. And then finally, I just sat everybody down. And I said, now, if you will allow me, I will tell you about the God that's done these great miracles. And I began to preach to them Jesus. I was there three days in that place. We had over 100 people get the Holy Ghost. We baptized I don't know how many but many many people got baptized and there's a strong church in that city today it's up very close to the border with Afghanistan it's up in the northwest province in a tribal area we now have a bible school there and that church has started many other churches all along that border with Afghanistan so you know God's going to have a church and I think As missionaries, we just step out by faith. I know I had, uh, I'm taking too much time maybe, but I know I had uh, my family many times, relatives would say, why are you going to Pakistan? You're crazy, you know. They're going to kill you over there. And I've got to be honest, there were times that we were afraid, but I always had this confidence that as long as I was in the will of God, and as long as I was called of God to be there, I had a work to do for him. And as long as I had that work to do, he was going to always take care of me. I didn't have to worry about it. So the Lord protected us so many times. There, are, there were other cases. Uh, one time I was accused of being a spy for Germany. <laughs> I said, I'm not German. <laughs> and I'm not a spy, all right. in the morning, the police bang on my hotel room door and come in, get me out of bed with their guns over their shoulders, saying, we've got information, you are a spy. That could be a very dangerous situation, something like that. But you know, the Lord protected us, and I believe, I feel like there were angels. I, I felt like such a presence of the Lord, even in the midst of all that that I was a, I was a thousand miles away from my family. I was in a very, very remote area. After it was all over, I just laid down on my bed and I just began to weep. Tears just running down my face. And I think, I'm thinking, why am I here in this God-forsaken place, you know? But I, the Lord came in that room and ministered to me in such a phenomenal way. So... As we go forward in the name of the Lord, he's, he's, he's with us. This is his work, and uh, he's, he's going to take care of us.
0: Well, and that leads me into my next question, Sister Hanscom, about um, what was there a, like a moment that it kind of sank in like God? there's a reason we're here? You know, he's asking those questions like, why am I even here? Um, was there a moment, though, early on where you kind of realized, okay, Like, this is why God's called us here. Uh,
2: Yes. um, Well, like I said, I was very young. And uh, my husband was a totally mature, confident man of God, okay? And here I was, a little wife with three little kids. I had the Holy Ghost, and I had a call of God. And and I felt like if—I remember being in one service, and it was all in Urdu— but I remember thinking, "Oh, if I could just have somebody lay their hand on my shoulder, and pray for me," and that never happened. But the Lord ministered to me, and uh, um, then I was able to move on from that. Like, I can't take this anymore. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what. I mean, His purpose was straight ahead, and the and the and the uh, the need. I mean, they were people coming to the office every day saying, "You have to come to our village." And preached this message, Acts 2.38. They didn't know about that. And so he, he was busy doing that. And one year we did count up that the d- the days that he was gone or the nights he was gone from our house would have added up to nine months. So he was gone a lot. Not proud of that, actually. <laughs> not- no, we did uh, talk about this. In fact, uh, um. Uh, Global missions talked to him, one of the representatives, and said, "You know, well, your family is very important too." So we revamped our program because the revival. I mean, every village, every time we went out, the first thing we'd ask, "Well, how many got the Holy Ghost?" Thirty-five or fifty. It was just, it was just every night. And so, in that time, I did. I had no one. I really. Had, we left our mother's home, and uh, so I think that would maybe some of my struggles, and. Uh, I never really thought I would do anything differently. This is it. This is what God called us to do. As a teenager, I felt called to to missions. And before we got married, we talked about it. You know, he was very interested in missions. He was a de Merchant's cousin, so he was wanting to go to South America. And I had had impressed on me uh, to go to Fiji Islands. Well, there's a lot of difference between those two places. And then we ended up in Pakistan. So I think it was, be, to me, it, it can be a territory that you're definitely called to and that's it. And, and there's nothing else for you. I understand that. But for us, it was like God called us to missions. And whatever that entailed, wherever that went, we had to go. And that's what we did.
0: Grammy, was there a moment for you that you kind of, it kind of dawned on you like there's a reason we're here?
3: I knew the reason. It was because your grandpa was called. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Sounds like it a similar a, situation. <laughs>
3: it took a while for me to feel that calling.
2: Yeah, you were just a mama. That's
3: I was a beginning to be a grandma, and I didn't it want happened. to leave my grandkids. Oh, dear. So it, it did take some uh, praying for me to go. Because, you know... He he had our church in Wood River praying for a long time about going to missions. He fasted 40 days. He almost died fasting to get the answer from God. And by the time he decided we were going, I changed my mind. I wasn't going to go. But I knew I was married to him for life. And whatever his calling was had to be mine also. So when we first got to Haiti... It was a calm, peaceful country to live in. The Duvaliers were in power. They had a secret army called the Tonton Makuts. And nobody said anything bad about government or they disappeared and never was seen again. So it was pretty peaceful until they drove the Duvaliers out of the country in 86. And from that time until we left, we had nine presidents in eight years. Nine overthrows of the government, so it was a pretty dangerous place to live. The Burks came, worked in the Bible school, so they were there during some of those overthrows. They can tell you how it felt. I never felt afraid. Maybe it's because I'm dumb, or maybe it was because God uh, took that fear away. But I never felt we were in danger. The closest thing that I can remember is one night Teresa called and there was shooting around our house and I was laying on the floor in the bedroom talking to her and she said, Mom, what's all that noise I'm hearing? And I said, oh, that sh- that must be on your end of the line <laughs> because you don't want to let anybody know what's happening. You don't want foreign missions to call you home because you feel like you're in God's will to be there.
0: Well, And what was that? I mean, obviously, Grandpa felt called, but what, at what moment was it for you that you realized, like?
3: Well, I think it was probably the day we found our house, the very first day we set foot there. Because, you know, being a woman, having a house, still got the house. Um, you want things to be ready for you when you get there. You don't want to walk into something unknown, and that's where we were. We didn't have any friends there, actually there was people there but they had a baby that died and foreign missions called them home so they weren't there when we got there. We thought we would be working with them, actually they were already gone. So when you step into a country like Pakistan or Haiti, the airport can scare you to death and it was kind of spooky thinking about the unknown of where are you and what are you going to do? and who's going to be there and all that. But I wasn't there very long until I found out there was a big American community there. And I became friends with a lot of those people, which some of them were here two or three weeks ago in service with us. So we're still friends, but the point, I think, is when I walked in and saw that house. The house was a big house, of course. It had two rocking chairs, three twin beds, a stove and refrigerator. What else do you need? We had carried with us a few dishes and Sister Smith had sent a few things with us that she thought we would need. And there was a young man that was the guard at the house who couldn't speak a word of English. And we learned how to communicate with him so he could help us with different things. But I'm sure it was the day we walked into that house was the day I knew I was supposed to be there because God had
0: answered my prayer. Amen. Um, right in the same vein, this questioning is, um, what was the hardest adjustment to make when trying to make a home away from home? Maybe Sister Hanscom can answer this. Um, The hardest adjustment to make when trying to make a home away from home uh, was it being able to feel a sense of belonging in a foreign country, both spiritually and socially, or something else? And maybe, I, I don't know if what the community of missionaries was like there, if there were any. Um, it sounded like you had a contact there, but what was... Well,
2: my, my husband's sister and her husband were there. And so that helped us uh, with a lot of the first-hand adjustments or decisions we didn't have to make us. they knew how to help us. Um, but as far as uh, feeling a belonging, it was in the church with the revival. And once we met the wonderful people, it was, it was really wonderful. The rest of it was, it was a new experience, you know, the bazaars and the, um, <clears throat> the fruit market and the meat market, you know, the meat hanging on a hook. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that in my life, you know. But uh, fortunately, after we were there for a while, someone had been abroad, and they would try to open at what they called a supermarket. And they would actually get the meat and freeze it, so that was a little bit better than having to go right down to the, to the market. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we didn't have. There were no strawberries in, in Pakistan, can you imagine? And no McDonald's but you can live without all that stuff. But we had mangoes that were almost as big as footballs that were totally amazing. So it was amazing how that every seemingly inadequacy or something that wasn't available, there was something there to take its place. So, um, and and I have to say this, we didn't um, pine all the time for America. We, you know, we missed our parent, our mothers, Both of our mothers were widows. We knew there were people taking care of them. But we didn't, our mind was there. Our mind was in Pakistan. Of course, we were happy when the mail came and we got that. But those kind of adjustments, I mean, everything was different. Um, uh, Like she said, we had to have help. You had to have someone in the house. You had to have someone to go to the market for you. All these many different things. But a few, occasionally I've said, okay, inside our home I've had other people ask me, what did you do? All three of your children are serving the Lord, raised on the mission field. In our home, this is what I did purposefully. In our home, it was America. We, once they stepped through the gate, we were American family in there. And we tried to have, you know, whatever substitute of things we could have to have American food. But I remember one time there were some apples, but they were all really soft apples, not like apples from home. And so I was going to make a pie, so I get the flour out, and it is crawling with weevils. (laughs) And so my sister-in-law said, oh, just sift it. Just sift the flour and just keep using the flour. And so uh, first attempt and last attempt, making pie crust (laughs) with the flour. So there were a lot of things you had to adjust. You know, you're thinking, and it just seemed like it happened for us. It was, oh, this doesn't work. Well, this was, and we use um, the term of, uh, of um, being able to make adjustments. There's a word for it, and it's, it eludes me right now, but um, we could make something out of nothing, and we did picnics, and we did planned all kinds of things for our kids, and church was a vital role in our kids. Now, there's two languages going on. Every service was in Urdu and in English. The preaching was in English, but all the singing was in Urdu. And, uh, but our kids went every time. It didn't matter. And uh, then it wasn't long before they understood more Urdu than we did, almost. And uh, so they went for the services. So that's what we did. We made America in our home, service and church And involvement was totally vital with our kids. And um, I have a little book at the back that's available. And we have documented that our kids have said they do not resent us taking them to the mission field. It was their life. And it was exciting. There was many adventures that they did. And uh, so all those adjustments happened. And you just seemed like to roll with it. All right. This doesn't work. Let's try something else. And... uh, Improvising is the word. That's what we had to do. So missionaries, that's our, our main motto. We can improvise and make something else be similar and be wonderful for us.
0: Awesome. Um, now, this may be a, a general ministry question, but I think more exaggerated on the mission field because of, of where you're at and what you're doing. Um, Brother Hanscom, did you ever experience those like feelings of isolation and loneliness on the field? And how did you kind of deal with that? I know you were separated from your family a lot. Um. There were were times, of course.
1: But we were so busy, I just didn't hardly think about it, you know? And I think I just mentioned to you about being in that hotel when the police come in, and, and that was a time I really felt isolated. I really felt like, you know, something would happen to me because this was this was before email, this was before cell phones, this, there was no communication. There were no telephones, no way to communicate back with my wife. And so I'm just laying there thinking, you know, if something happens to me here, nobody would even know where I'm at, you know. It was that kind of feeling. But uh, most of the time uh, I was so involved in the work and we were always traveling together with other ministers and uh, we were busy, you know, every day having Bible studies and at night preaching evangelistic services and baptizing people and praying with people for the Holy Ghost and that was that was our life, you know. So when you're busy like that, and I've always said I'm glad God called me to Pakistan because we saw a lot of results. I don't. I'm. I'm just geared in such a way that if nothing is really happening, <laughs> you know, nobody's getting the Holy Ghost, nobody's getting baptized, that would be harder on me than going to a, a place like that, which is isolated, but where you see uh, hunger and people are harvest, you know, people getting saved. That's That makes up the difference. And mm-hmm. also I would like to just say in regard to what Sister, um, My wife has said and and sister Bonnie is I believe the grace of God goes before you whatever God asks you to do the grace of God goes before you and so you could be in the greatest danger and have peace you know and sometimes not even know it so that's what I wanted to add to that was the you know God never sends us out there by ourselves and just throws us out into the into this thing. He goes before us. The grace of God is there to take care of us.
2: I was going to say it's a fortunate thing. I guess God knew when He called my husband that he is this even keeled person. He's never down and lonely. And he's never too excitable or in a situation rash and and jump and do something that caused that. So we had that stability in our family. And even our kids talk about that. Uh, We knew dad was there, so everything was okay. We were protected. And even uh, concerning the times that he was gone... They said, yeah, but when Daddy was home, we did fun things, and it was quality time. So w- they understood it was a difference, that it was not just like, he's away from you. He's doing what he wants to do because he doesn't want to be with you. And so I think God with His, made his temperament that way. Now, I could cry at the drop of a hat if something was going crazy, you know, and I'd be all worried and scared and everything. But he's just, just this right level
1: Sometimes I just have to reach up and kind of pull her back down to earth. All right, because <laughs> I do
2: get excited. <laughs> Here we
0: go, Grammy. That um, describe that for you. What that was like. Um, I mean, and I think in that's probably typical, right? Um, the, the husband going off and doing working with churches and things like that, um, and you having to be behind at times.
3: Well. I think he described my husband pretty good. <laughs> He's pretty even keeled. He hardly ever raised his voice to anybody at any time, even to our children when they were growing up. So, watch out if you're kind of even keeled. God might call you to the mission field. <laughs> no, um, there was times when it was difficult especially if there were roadblocks and all that kind of stuff going on but the peace of God and trusting God takes the place of a lot of fear fear is gone when you have that and some people might think that that's an excuse but it isn't you just trust in the Lord to protect you and take care of you in every situation and like he said Every day is a new day when you get up on the mission field. If you can accomplish one thing, you can say you're a successful missionary. I don't care if it's looking for a bolt, piece of ribbon, some thread, or trying to find something at the market. If you can find it, you're a success because it seems like things are hidden from you in the mission field. A lot of obstacles. Yes, a lot.
0: Well, you did have Twyla there. and I know oh, when she cleans sometimes. <laughs> You're right. it's, it's easy to lose things. Um, how, did, how did missions change your perspective on North America? Other hands come.
1: I don't know that it did, really. Um, I know it affects people in different ways, and I, I've had missionaries tell me, you know, while I come home, I, I leave a revival f- uh, feel, people getting the Holy Ghost, come back home to North America. And a lot of times it doesn't seem like a lot of revival taking place. But I always look for the positive on that. And when we deputized, my feeling was I'm, I'm, there's twofold reason why I'm going to this church for this service. Number one, I'm going there to bless the church. And then, of course, to present the need for the mission field. But, and PIMs, you know, people worry about getting PIMs. I know you have to have PIMs and all that, but I found out if you go into a church and you have somebody get the Holy Ghost, or you have somebody get healed, uh, a, a real move of God, you're going to get a PIM. I mean, that's just just yeah. natural. So I tell missionaries this all the time, you know, just go to that church to be a blessing. If you can. And uh, it's different. It was, a, it, was a, it was, I found it was worse when I retired from the mission field. And I came back permanently. I found that was when it was really hard for me when I would go to camp meeting and people in the altar praying and nobody praying with them. You know, people just standing around talking and visiting and going here and doing this and that. And I'm thinking, why in the world aren't we up here in this altar praying with these people? So things like that would really bother me a lot when I first came home. But I had to understand that these people have not been exposed to what we've been exposed to. And they, this, they don't know any different than that. So you just have to realize that. That's good. One and thing I would like to say also about going to the mission field, this may be just a little bit off the of track, but I encourage missionaries to go to the field when their children are young i've seen missionaries go to the field with teenagers and it's a disaster and kids sometimes lose out with god over that so that's always my advice if you're even considering the mission field do it when your family is young your kids are young because children adapt so easily and so quickly they'll pick up the language they'll pick up the culture
0: quicker than you will. And so uh, a little bit of advice there on that. And Sister Hanscom, I mean, um, coming back, I mean, was there a period of, of uh, kind of assimilating back into society? Um, or did you ever, did you, when you, once you left, did you kind of never feel the same as you did before? Uh.
2: Well, when we came home uh, permanently, uh, I had talked to Sister Bernard, Senior Bernard, and they were in Korea, and they were very involved with the Great Revival also. And she told me, she said, you never fit in when you get back. And I don't know what all of her experience was. In I think they were in Louisiana, and I don't, but eventually they started a Spanish church. I mean, they could speak Korean, but they started a Spanish church in Louisiana. So you you find whatever you can do and wherever you can fit. And but I find that uh, I don't want to be negative, but some people are very. Uh, uh, focused on position and stuff like that. And that was a shock to us. We didn't realize. We thought everybody just wanted to work for God. <laughs> you know, that's what we, we had a great team in Pakistan. Uh, the first it was the Corcorans and then we came and then Gary Tracy family came and then his twin brother and his family came and we were a team. I mean, the, the guys were going all over different villages. They had it all mapped out what province they were going to. And they worked together. It was an awesome team. And then when we come home, we find out maybe someone's not too happy. You're home. We loved you overseas, you know. <laughs> but it's different when you're right here because uh, we didn't try to brag or say what was happening. But we looked around. We thought, well, this could happen here, you know, if y'all get in the flow of the Spirit. But we tried not to be judgmental and because they are not exposed to that. But it it. it does take some fitting in and we pastored a small church when we came back and I didn't know what their expectation was of me and 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 I had to you know adjust my expectation of them because one day I said oh well we just need to hit this running and and she says sister we can't run (laughs) so I said okay we'll try something else we'll do a little something else but um, eventually you do fit back in and of course with this wonderful organization that we have he talked about PIM, so We could never have gone without the global missions and the ladies department and, and the youth and all that. It, what a great fellowship we have that takes very good care of missionaries. And we knew some denominal missionaries there and they called us the rich missionaries because headquarters took care of us so nicely. They didn't want us to live in a substandard housing. They didn't want you to have a car, thankfully, that didn't have air conditioning after a few years when it was available. And, and the United Pentecostal Church takes very good care of their missionaries. And we thank the local churches because we really couldn't go on our own. And we just hope that you realize that you have a part of that harvest. You're in it. And when the rewards come around, you, you were the ones that uh, facilitated that great revival.
0: Well, I wish we could do this in a part two. Um, uh, And we're a little over schedule, but it's okay. I want to squeeze every bit of information out of you today. One last question, um, and we'll just kind of go down the line here. Um, Collectively, there's a lot of ministry on this stage right here. Um, And you've been doing it for a long time, a a lot of years. Um, What do you attribute your ability to keep going? getting up every day and continuing to do this. All of you on the stage here are still active in, in ministry in different ways. Um, what is it that keeps you going? And, and kind of maybe what bit of advice would you give someone else to, to continue that?
3: Well, there's been a few years I didn't feel like getting up and going on. It'll be 28 years in next month since I lost my husband. And when he passed away, I felt like I wasn't a part of anything anymore. And it's taken a long time to be able to realize that I am still part of the church. I am still part of the gospel being taught to people. But I'll tell you what keeps you going on is we haven't reached the goal yet. We're still in the game. No matter how feeble we may be, or how strong we may be, we still haven't reached our goal, and our goal is before us. So until we get there, we still go on.
0: Amen. That's awesome. Sister, hands come. Wow.
2: Whatever we can do for God. It- it's the most important thing we can do. And I did read a little book one time, and it called, it's called What is Worthwhile? In this world, what is really worthwhile? And I think we maybe know better than anyone else. We know that everything we do for Christ is the only thing, the only thing that will last. But all these other things, we've got to shed them and let them go. And, and they're not that important And it's not, in the whole scheme of things, in the the light of eternity, so many things, they're just not important. And what I want to do is whatever is worthwhile, and that's what is eternal. And we're not just talking. sometimes I feel like we're just talking. We're telling our story of the wonderful things God has done in Pakistan. But those were eternal souls that we touched. So it's not just a, oh, fly by night, oh, this happened. We had revival. No. We were doing an eternal work there. And I don't think you can ever stop doing an eternal work. And if we can pour it into people. I met people in Fiji. Since we retired, we were there. I saw some girls standing around. And I didn't know what they were doing. But I was just being friendly. I said, what are y'all doing here? And they said, oh, madam. And then they got all shy and said, we're waiting for some work to come by. And I said, you know, you're worth more than what that person could ever give you. You know, God knows you, and he knows your name, and and I was in an orphanage in Burma, and there were 40 little kids there, and someone had taught them English, uh, to sing an English song. They didn't know that they couldn't speak English, but they'd learned the sounds, and they were singing, he knows my name. <laughs> well, I was a puddle, let me tell you, to think that. Here are these 40 little kids, and they're orphans, and I don't know their name, but he knows their name, and he has an eternal plan for them. That's what makes it exciting to me. And to think the wonderful thing God God has for you in this life for salvation and a wonderful life serving the Lord, and then guess what? It's going to be eternal. And I looked around in Pakistan. They're living in mud huts when we went there. I think it has improved. But in the village, it's very, very much poverty and very... Um, depressing to me and I'm thinking looking around here God this is what they have but if we can give them something wonderful guess what they're going to have a mansion and so our purpose never changes even when when you retire
0: and Brother Hanscom what was the question (laughs) sorry Um, just no I I I really can't
1: add to what uh, these ladies have said Um, my feeling is there's there's no stopping um, the call of God. I, I live to preach. I tell people I live to preach. Uh, I retired at the end of 2017 from WEC headquarters, and I thought, this is going to be so awesome, man. I won't have to get up in the morning, and no emails, and no cell phones, and no board meetings, and committee meetings, and I'll just have a wonderful time, but that lasted only about three weeks, and I'm sitting in my little apartment looking at the ceiling wondering, you know, what am I doing? So that's when I wrote my book and we started traveling. We did some overseas ministry. But it's just like if we can just reach one more soul and if we can just do something that's going to count for the kingdom of God, that's all that's important.
0: Amen. Can we... We are.
2: You know, you're talking missionaries and how great they are and how wonderful and the sacrifices and all they've done. But this is your mission field right here. Amen. Can you imagine that you can give this wonderful plan of salvation to the clerk at the store, the cashiers, or their school teacher? You're doing the very same thing here. It's in a different location. Amen. So don't lose sight of that and realize what you're doing is very vital and important.
0: Amen. Well, can we honor them today for all their their work, yeah. all everything they've done? Amen.